0: Welcome to Gut Wisdom, a show about work, life, and how to succeed in both. It's radio that resonates. Gut Wisdom is sponsored by the Gelb Center. Don't lose another night's sleep. Visit the sleep and wellness experts at gelbcenter.com. Now, here are your hosts, Deirdre Koppelman and J.G. John Gasman.
1: Well, it's Saturday night, and boy, do we have some interesting, interesting things to talk about tonight We have our special guest, Dr. Jody Foster, clinical professor of psychiatry at the University of Pennsylvania. And I promise you, as much as we'd like to diagnose JG, right, Jonathan Gassman, who's sitting there, we're actually going to talk about schmucks in your office. We know you have them. We've had them. We've all dealt with them. And Dr. Foster is an expert in people that are disruptive. So... J.G., how you feeling? Want to talk about schmucks on a Saturday night? I don't. I think you're
2: looking at... Why are you looking at me calling me a schmuck? <laughs> <laughs> I see the way you're pointing. <laughs> this is going to be such an awesome show because we all deal with difficult, challenging people in our offices. And not just in the offices, just in life. In life. And,
1: of course, those are the same people that show up in the office. And what's interesting, and I hope that Dr. Foster will tell us, why are some people so difficult to work with? And And, you know, they're so... Draining, difficult oh, totally. people are draining. Jerks are draining. Schmucks are draining. And you know, aside from the decreased productivity, they just destroy teams and make people miserable. Who wants to work with a schmuck? Not me, but we all do. So, having Doctor Foster join us tonight—forget uh, about wisdoms. There will be wisdoms that not only help identify uh, the many types of schmucks <laughs> that we work with in the office but also how to deal with them, because they're really, I believe, Dr. Foster will share with us, how to.
2: And you're going to love the book, because when you, if you've read the book, yes, it talks about your favorite topic, empathy. I know. <gasps> Can you imagine that? Empathy and schmucks. I can't imagine the two of those going together. <laughs> how do together. they go
1: together? Well, schmucks, we don't think have <laughs> empathy. Are we supposed to have empathy for schmucks? Let's find out. Stay yeah. tuned.
0: WCBS. Delays of two hours plus. With drive time traffic every five minutes, live from Chopper 880. We're just getting the first look here. Plus, all the latest news. Several buildings have been evacuated. WCBS News Radio 880.
1: Hey, everybody, it's Got Wisdom. I'm Deirdre Koppelman here with your co host, John Gassman. And what a Saturday night it is. Have you ever worked with the micromanager, a narcissist? Well, I bet you there are many schmucks that you've encountered in your office. And yes, this is CBS 880, and we did say the word schmucks. <laughs> because tonight, we're not just talking about, you know, regular old schmucks. We're talking about the ones that disrupt your day
2: every single day. And the ones wi- that have like offensive behavior? Oh yeah, those. Ext- extremely disruptive people? Extremely. Might you know somebody, JG? Are you inferring that I, don't know. I we're, may be we're going a, to- a disruptor?
1: Potentially. And we're going to let our expert guest who's joining us tonight, Dr. Jody Foster, who is the author of The Schmuck in My Office, How to Deal with uh, How to deal Effectively with People at Work. So we're going to get into this deep dive. We've got these difficult people. They're jerks. They're schmucks. How should we be dealing with them? So,
2: JJ. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome, Dr. Jody Foster. It's a pleasure Yay. to have you here.
3: So much. Thank
2: you for having me. Thank you. So, uh, uh, a question to start. What a great. First of all, thank you. This was such an amazing book. Uh, It really, you know, as we call this show, radio that resonates. The book itself resonated so much with me. (laughs) I found me uh, like on every page. I could just (laughs) write my name. Dear, just said JG. You need to read this book. It all (laughs) applies to you. Every. Every one of your ten categories.
1: And now having read it, I know how to deal with all of your multiple personality disorders.
2: But and by the way, everyone, you know, Dr. Foster is co author with Michelle Joyce, so let's give also a little Absolutely. round of applause to her. Yeah. Um so so tell us, what was the motivation for you to write a book about, you know, the schmucks, these disruptors in the bastards in the office?
3: Uh, it's interesting. I was actually asked to write the book. It never crossed my mind to write a book, mm. um, but I um, developed a program at Penn uh, initially for disruptive physicians, and it uh, was so <laughs> successful that we began to offer it publicly, and then into other industries. And um, I had gone to Wharton, and they asked to do an alumni interview about the program. And within a couple of days, I got a call from an agent saying, "You know, I think this is uh, you know very relatable," and and uh, 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 generally interesting topic. Would you consider writing a book about it? And I've always loved talking about psychiatry to non-psychiatrists. And I think there's an important message, as you note. So we decided to proceed.
1: So I have a question for you. First of all, can you give us just a little bit of your background? I know you Penn, I know Wharton, but string it together for us and our listeners.
3: Uh, sure. I'm a uh, psychiatrist. I've been uh, in the Penn Health system for 28 years. I'm I'm presently the vice chair of clinical operations for the Department of Psychiatry. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, in 1998, seeing what was going on in, in my industry, I decided to get an MBA um, wow. it's in finance. Mm-hmm. And I got that at Wharton. And um, at Wharton, um, I found out Pretty quickly that being a psychiatrist was a real commodity, because mm-hmm. just about everybody was coming up to me uh, week after week with stories about their coworkers, stories about their <laughs> friends, stories about their spouses, mm-hmm. and they wanted to know why are they like this well, you know what can I do about this and mm-hmm. and I realized that there was a real you know niche here, mm-hmm. um, so I initially started. Evaluating uh, teams for venture capital companies before they invested.
4: Ooh, yes, yeah,
3: um, yeah, because venture capital is fantastic at doing uh, due diligence, but they don't really do much due diligence on the people that they're investing in. And you know, as we know, um, you know about uh, the people. Uh, a bad team can destroy <clears throat> an entire company. So um, that's how it started. And then um, uh, I was uh, asked to be chair of my department at Pennsylvania Hospital, and uh, that kind of brought me more back into medicine. But uh, in 2008, the Joint Commission on Accreditation of Hospitals put out a sentinel statement uh, to the country that said that disruptive physician behavior was a patient safety and quality issue, and that intervention needed to occur, and that's how my program got born.
4: Wow, wow,
1: wow. Well... (laughs) We are doubly blessed. I, I'm listening to you. I'm my, blown away.
3: Thinking, hmm. Most you- importantly, I am a New Yorker.
4: Yay! Yeah!
3: Brooklyn? Stuyvesant High. No, <clears throat> Manhattan. Lower East Side of Manhattan. Yeah,
4: uh, okay, I went to it's Stuy.
1: Okay, it's okay. Okay. So here's a question, Dr. Foster. In your book, you talk about different types of schmucks that we all encounter at the office, right? Mm-hmm. What would you say... Are there more typical or prominent types of these schmucks or jerks that we run into more often yeah. than others? Absolutely. What would um, they be? Share with yeah, us.
3: So, uh, most the most common consults I get are uh, uh, people who are what I would call narcissists and mm-hmm. the bean counter. Without question, those are the two most common.
1: What's the bean? Um, what's a what's a bean counter? Before we go to the narcissist.
3: So, um, just as a backdrop. I, I named all of these 10 types uh, because I wanted to really drive home the point that these people are not sick. These are people who are functioning uh, in our society, but some aspect of their personality or their traits are, are rubbing up against other people or their culture in a way that's not working for them. But yeah. um, So I don't want to call them their psychiatric diagnoses because I don't <laughs> think they have psychiatric diagnoses. You know so, from
1: the uh, DSM, from what the is DSM that book? DSM-5, yeah. Right. <laughs> right. I have that at home, by the way. It's uh, a good book. It's, it's, a, it's,
3: it, it's, a, it's a good little handbook to keep at your side. <laughs> what, the go the ahead. bean counter is the sort of uh, controlling micromanager who tortures uh-huh. you with uh, uh-huh. kind of getting uh, you stuck in the weeds because they are and not letting you move forward because they're constantly correcting or otherwise controlling your work.
1: Yeah, we see a lot of bean counters. That's a yep. That's a great explanation. And the narcissist, although I think... You know, our listeners probably have a good idea of what that is. What, what's the narcissist type?
3: So the narcissist is um, the entitled, self-centered, condescending, attention-seeking person who sort of uh, fills the room with his ego, inflates his own self-worth, you know, demands, praise exaggerates accomplishments. Mm -hmm. Um, You -hmm. know, and in both of these cases, and in many of these cases, that the the basic trait is a really good one. I mean, we all want to have some basic healthy narcissism, because otherwise, we wouldn't try new things. And we want to be detail oriented, like, you know,
1: a A bean counter, counter
3: because, you know, who doesn't want their work done correctly, you Mm -hmm. know, and with attention to detail. But when these traits kind of begin to get in the way and begin to dominate the picture that's when it becomes problematic
1: and let me just ask you before i ask you i have we have a ton of questions for you uh you also mentioned a type called the fly trap
3: uh-huh.
2: the venus fly trap
1: what yeah what's the venus fly trap
3: Type. So the Venus flytrap is, is uh, probably the third most common that I see, a little difficult to explain. So um, if, if anyone has seen the movie Fatal Attraction yep. or, let's say, Single White Female or something like that, that would be a very, very pathological version of mm-hmm. what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. But these are people who are, you know, up front, highly seductive and appealing, and they draw you in. And this is why I called it Venus flytrap. They draw you in, and then they chew you up and spit you
2: out. Yeah, they're probably so, the very charismatic, you know, leader. I, I could res- that resonates with <laughs> me for some reason, but I could see them very seductive, yeah. very charismatic, bubbly, vivacious, drawing people into yep. whatever they're talking about. And we see this so, all the time. Yeah, all the I time mean, in companies.
1: the The, the aspect of uh, drama. Right. Yes. Victims, yes. bullies yes. and heroes. Yes. Yes.
3: Yes. And how and the people thing about it is, yeah. is the, the I'm sorry, the 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 uh, the seduction is so intense mm-hmm. and um, they make people feel so engaged and mm-hmm. they you know make them feel like they're on a pedestal. They make, you know, they really draw people in. But what you can't see up front is that there's an almost prescribed flip to something negative. Yeah. And so these are very push-pull relationships, and people uh, often just are really walking around eggshells around these people for fear of setting them off.
2: Eventually, though, it comes out. The negative part of this really comes out. So in the beginning, I think whether they're a narcissist, a Venus flytrap, or we haven't spoken about the swindler, you know, another sociopath per per mm-hmm. se. But right. you know, all of them you're attractive to, they're seductive, there's nice. there's drama involved with all of them. But eventually, yes. you know, the bad, the ugly comes out. Yep. The underbelly. Yeah, the underbelly. Good way to good way to put it.
1: So <clears throat> interesting. You know, Doctor Foster, we work with a lot of uh CEOs, their leadership teams, business owners. Um, really, every level of of uh, teammate, if you will, mm-hmm. and we see uh, these types, these schmucks, mm-hmm. and and what? Um, how can somebody who's not trained? I mean, your training as an expert is by far. You're a psychiatrist. You Penn, Wharton MBA. I mean, you've got the clinical experience. JG and I've been trained more in organizational development. Obviously, we're not clinicians. But for everyday people who are just trying to go to work and do their job, how do they identify, right? We you know, well, you just know somebody isn't nice to work with. You know somebody's a jerk. But then how do you know what to do? Right? How, what I mean, and I don't know, is there a specific remedy for each type is it? What do you, give us there, a, a there is, little bit. There,
3: there are uh, remedi- remedies and strategies for each type and then there are some overarching principles that apply to everyone. So, um uh, to your first point, how do people know that they're working with a jerk? Well, sometimes that's incredibly obvious if somebody's screaming in your face, sure, right. humiliating you in public or throwing p- furniture, you know, obviously mm-hmm. that's 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 clear. Mm-hmm. But then there are those insidious Exactly, aggressive people who you know they they they're they're turning the screw on you, and you don't even know it's happening until maybe like that night, or or you dream about it, or even you know a a week later. Yeah, and that's a very very sort of um, uh, difficult virus that right,
1: and especially if you're if you're a trusting individual. And like. you're an optimistic individual and you're a team player and you work hard and all you're really thinking about is getting your work done, doing it well, you know, showing up, being your best. That's when I think it's really, di- unless it's overt, unless the schmuck is mm-hmm. completely, like we said, overt and in your face, uh, sometimes you just can't see it coming.
3: Right. Until right. it but does, then, but it boom. You? It affects you it and you don't and you don't know, necessarily always know what it is but but it it definitely gets to you at some point, so if there's an overarching um uh answer to your question about okay, you know i'm I'm not trained as a psychiatrist, et cetera, et cetera. how am I supposed to do this um and perhaps what I'm about to say is informed by the fact that I am a psychiatrist, but you know the better you know yourself. And the better you know what you react to, what sets you off, what doesn't set you off, the better you're going to be able to determine what behavior in another person causes you to
1: trouble. react. Okay. Exactly. So, so that triggers you, which is, exactly. in two words, self-awareness.
4: Yes.
3: Right? Um, yeah. I also think it's incredibly important that we realize that people don't set out. To be disruptive, um, I do not mm. believe. I do not believe that somebody wakes up in the morning and you know, as they're uh, shaving, giggle to themselves that they're going to you know cause chaos in the workplace that day. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't work like that. So wait, hold
1: think- hold that thought, hold that okay. thought, because that is extremely interesting, and we want to hear more about that. But JG, I know you wanted to share something quickly. Hurry.
2: Yeah, don't forget about the su- the special summer gut wisdom giveaway, email Deirdre at dk at gutwisdom.com. And we're going to give you a choice of choosing a special gift, either the Mastering Leadership for Life uh, copy of the book Mm -hmm. or attending our next live event, which is Tuesday night, September 19th.
1: And if anybody would like a copy of Dr. Foster's book, right, how to deal with the uh, schmuck in my office, email me. Stay tuned. We're coming right back. How to deal with them with Dr. Foster.
0: More drive-time traffic. A collision approaching the Tappan Zee Bridge. More often. Triborough Bridge is the problem. Weekday mornings and afternoons on WCBS 880. You're never more than five minutes away from the latest traffic news. A lot of volume across the upper level now at the uh, GWB. When you need to know, we've got you covered.
3: Inbound Midtown Tunnel. There's a stall past the toll.
0: Traffic and weather together, plus the new bridge and tunnel update. Only on New York's traffic station. WCBS News Radio 880.
2: Is this an amazing show or what? We have Dr. Foster with us talking about schmucks in the office. You know, those are the ones that we have challenges with. Extremely disruptive. They're jerks. You all have them.
1: Well, that's why the show is called Gut Wisdom. And, you know, if you can't figure out how to get some wisdoms on how to deal with those schmucks in the office, what are we doing, J.G.?
2: For sure. And we all absorb other people's behaviors very differently. Mm -hmm. You know, some people find it more accepting. And, you know, we were just sharing this whole notion about, you know, most of these people don't wake up with the intent of being, you know, a jerk, you know, a schmuck. Although we think that they do. They may not have self-awareness. So, Dr. Foster, what's what's your thought on this?
3: So, um, I, I think that people act the way they act. We all have personalities, and we bring our personalities to work with us, right? Otherwise, we would all be the same, and, and life would be very boring, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, so I come to work with my personality, and maybe I'm in a new job, and I'm in a new culture, and I don't necessarily know the, the, the sandbox that I'm playing in is in this particular place, so I'm just acting like myself. Well, it turns out that apparently I'm acting like a real jerk, but mm-hmm. no one's telling me. Yeah, They're all talking about it at the water cooler, but no one's telling me so
2: i keep doing what i'm doing and you know what's interesting about that if they, if this were if these were my children let's say my young kids acting in a in a way that i didn't like or appreciate you know they break rules they throw tantrums we wouldn't tolerate that we would exactly we would say something to them yet in the office you know when it's, um, and I, I go back to one of the bully bosses we once dealt with, who was six foot seven. Mm-hmm. You know this guy was huge. You would never want to, you know, say something oh, was, to him. <clears throat> you wouldn't want. He, he was intimidating. Get he was intimidating. Yeah, and we fear. I think a lot of people don't say things because one, they may feel like they're going to put this other person off, even though they find that behavior you offensive. Know, offensive.
1: Well, there's the, and Dr. Foster, I'm I'm sure you'll weigh in on this. Most people don't like conflict, don't like Absolutely. confrontation. So if you've got a jerk or a schmuck in the office, mm, you're probably, most of us, I think, listeners, you, you may agree, you're probably not going to say anything because but, you, you don't want retaliation. It's intimidating. You don't want it's the conflict. Our,
2: but D, it's our obligation. And you know the way I am when, when I see... You know, someone being wrong. It's our obligation to point it out to them. And again, as Dr. Foster said, these people don't wake up with the intent typically to be disruptive, to be jerks, to be to be the way they are acting. Mm-hmm. So it's in our best interest to, you know, not publicly humiliate them, well, let's but ask- pull them off to the side and say, hey, do you know when you do this, I feel this way or... Mm. Doctor Foster,
1: do you agree? What do you What do you think? What's the best way for everyday people, like all of us, are to confront when we don't like to confront?
3: So you brought up a fantastic point before, which is actually one of the conclusory statements of the book, which is that adult behavioral rules are largely similar to the rules for children. And they should be applied the same way. But you're right. When somebody's six foot seven, it's very hard to like, you know, have a little boy image in their, in their, in your head <laughs> right. and yep. kind of wag your finger at them that way. So that's what's sort of uh, challenging. Um, so the question is what to, like, question how to is,
1: it, Yeah. So the question is, to be specific, for those of us that do try to either uh, be avoid confrontation drama. right we're dealing with a schmuck in the office i'm a nice person i'm a team player i just want to get my work done this guy is or woman is a jerk
4: right
1: i'm not comfortable confronting right but i'm also unhappy every day
4: right
1: what do i do well,
3: Let let me uh, tell you one important thing, which is that, and this is, you know, sort of pursuant to the fact that people aren't setting out to be disruptive. Mm -hmm. The data shows that an overwhelming majority of people, when they are simply given an awareness Mm -hmm. conversation, just like you described, when you do this, you know, it causes this or we don't like what you're, you know, what you're doing here in this way. Something like eighty percent of people react with horror and self-correct. Yeah. And so, if we don't give them that chance to let them know that what they're doing is wrong, how can they? How can they possibly self-correct? But at the at the you know, at, at the same time, to your point, it's very hard to go up and do that. And I, I guess what I would ask people. To realize is that you know in every dyad we're each responsible for fifty percent of of our relationship. You totally. Know, yep. And right, and so sometimes you know someone's behavior is more dominant than another. And I I don't expect people to you know read this book and then and then barrel into their boss's office and say <laughs> hey guess what you're a, you're a complete jerk and I can't stand <laughs> working with you I'm not saying that but what I am saying is that you know it it eats away at us when we don't do anything and so well I that's true. And so I think, like I said, in, you know, in the world of knowing yourself,
4: mm-hmm.
3: you know, what can you do? What little thing can you do that you otherwise wouldn't have done? How can you move the needle just a little bit to get some of this off your chest and try to make some change or at least be heard? Because as you collect those little victories, you get braver and braver mm-hmm. about having these difficult conversations.
4: Well, that
1: makes sense. Here, What do you think about, so in the book... There are these types of schmucks. And ten of I, them. Uh, ten of them, specifically. Mm-hmm. I have been, probably my whole life, v- v- I have an, an adverse reaction to labels. I'm tall, I'm almost 5'10". I used to be labeled, you know, pink, you know. Have red com- hair. All these things. <laughs> so I'm not a fan of labels, but yet I understand that we humans need to have reference and put people and things uh, where we can relate and recall and they kind of fit in a nice little box. I mean, should we, should, is there a better way, I guess my question is, is there a better way to think about these jerks or not? Should we be identifying them as, and labeling them or can we just refer to them maybe as just difficult people?
3: Well, so uh, this is another major point in the book. Uh, the book is not intended for people to diagnose. Um, just, you know, to make it even clearer, even a psychiatrist can't diagnose somebody based upon an interaction. Mm-hmm. All of these have to be, you know, patterns of behavior that are reviewed over time and that, that you know, arise are, are, are to some sort of label or diagnosis. And we can't really do that. Mm-hmm. So. Um, I really would uh, prefer that we didn't think of these as labels, and instead we thought of them as sort of general buckets. So like, you know, you meet someone in the street and they smile at you, you put them in the bucket of, oh, that seems like a nice person, right? But is that a label? No, I don't think it's a label. I think it's a bucket. It's a nice person bucket. And and I, I, I really want people to think of these as the general buckets so that they know the general playing field that they're dealing with. Because by the way, very few people fall neatly into one of these buckets at a time. I mean, it's, it's much more common to have somebody who has characteristics of, of two or even three of them. Yeah, and, there's um, a
2: spectrum. They're all full on a spectrum. Right.
3: Exactly. And so the point is to say, okay, you know, uh, what's bothering me right now? Is it that this person keeps cutting me off, take credit for my work, blah, 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 or is it the way they're trying to control um, uh, everything I'm doing today?
1: And And, is it patterned behavior, if I understood? And is it
3: patterned, right. Right. And even if it isn't, you know, what can I do in the moment to contend with this? And, and that's, that's really all I mean by these buckets. The, mm-hmm. the buckets were created because after doing so many of these consults, I found that time after time after time again, people who have interpersonal problems and are not otherwise, you know, ill or having trouble sure. um, fall into these same 10 buckets.
2: Interesting. And it's not you're not labeling the person. It's the behaviors, no. uh, you know. It's like you did this, you did that. Don't say right. it's not like you say when you when this happens mm-hmm. or this is what's being done. This is right. how it transcends into our relationship. It's right. the actions that's causing not the us person. to label right. them. Right. Everybody's doing a nice person. Like just some yeah. are nicer than others.
3: Right, it would make me very sad if, if all that people did from this book is said you're a Venus flytrap, you're a Venus <laughs> I mean that that that's not what Good. The point of this is
1: right, which is why we brought it up. So, yeah. um, tell us, <laughs> is there a right way to handle this? I, I heard be you know self awareness. I heard you know there's, um, is it a pattern? I heard have the conversation give somebody an opportunity to cure somebody an opportunity to to fix to hear to
2: understand, and I also think you have to add into that the pause button. You know, we get upset, mm-hmm. right? When we're in, when we are in the moment with right. one of these challenging or difficult people, we can either react in a negative way or we can react in a positive way. And a lot of people go to the dark side, and right. to the extent we. Who are being picked on. Maybe we're the victim for the moment and this person is a bully. Hit the pause button. You know, maybe you gotta say, listen, we gotta take a break. You know what? Let's hold off on this conversation, whatever right. it may be. For us, for ourselves, for the victim, to say, why am I reacting this way? Why do I feel this right. way? What is it that this person person's actions have done to violate, quote, my values or my space? And then You go from there in terms of okay, where do they fit in the spectrum? What what are they doing? And then you have the conversation. Am I helping you, Deirdre? Are you realizing that I'm I'm giving you (laughs) guidance, counsel? I'm looking at you,
1: JG, and I'm thinking, wow, you really are going out of your way to help you here to fake Doctor Foster out (laughs) so that she cannot sniff out the bucket or
2: buckets oh, really? that you
1: fall into. You're this doing, is a riot. You're doing an amazing job. I ha- Thank wait, you. Wait, I'm sorry. Please take a vow. Drivers, please keep your hands on the steering <laughs> wheel.
2: Do not text or call during the show. Yeah, <laughs> so
1: empathy. Tell us about empathy because that is something that uh, it's I live near and breathe I mean, it's yeah. just... And, yeah. I, and 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 wait, I want your opinion before you answer the question. I think the definition of empathy should be changed and tell me what you think because you're an expert and I value that and respect that Dr. Foster. I don't believe that people can actually put themselves in somebody else's shoes. I I, I just, I think empathy to me is relatable. If I can relate to you and I can understand how you're feeling by what you're saying, because I'm listening and truly listening, I think, for me, that definition of empathy resonates as opposed to being able to put myself in somebody else's shoes.
3: Right. I mean, um, it, it's, everyone is different, so you're not going to be able to exactly approximate what the other person is experiencing and feeling. But to your point, if you can relate to it and if you understand the general field of, of how that might affect someone, and that's
1: empathy. So in a couple of seconds, we'll talk about, I believe, because it's in your book, and I'd like our listeners to understand how empathy plays into dealing with the schmucks in the office. Because one would think it's sort of counter... That just doesn't even make sense. You have schmucks and you have empathy. Should we be feeling bad, which is not empathy, but how am I relating to a schmuck? So I think that's an important... topic to discuss but J.G., G., dr foster i don't know if you know this but he's got some problems that oh he you're going to
2: gonna talk about my snoring again yeah well you know what i think schmucks and snoring have something that <laughs> go together i think i think those are characteristics they're not addressed in our book yeah but i could definitely uh talk about those because okay, I'm listening. A, as a purported schmuck as you alluded to oh you know i snore but i used to snore <laughs> so you know a lot of us wake up uh, unfortunately 100 times uh, hundreds of times in a given night and we don't even realize it we have problems breathing and i do want to share that dr michael gelb and his team at the gelb center are dedicated to evaluating you know your breathing your airway the quality of your sleep they even put together a comprehensive personalized plan to help guide you to the best sleep and health that you've ever experienced so you know spouses if you see that your your significant other is having problems at night sleeping well let the gelb center help them sleep better Call them at 212-752-1662. And you know what? Ask for a free copy of Dr. Gelb's recent book, GASP, G-A-S-P, GASP, Airway Health, The Hidden Path to Wellness. And again, I urge you, don't let this affect your life. Call Dr. Gelb, 212-752-1662. And on that note... Mr. J.G., we're coming
1: back with Dr. Foster with wisdoms on what? Empathy and schmucks in the office.
2: (laughs) Love it.
0: Get the news you need whenever and wherever you need it. Follow WCBS on Twitter and like us on Facebook. You can even listen to WCBS on your phone with live streaming and audio on demand with the CBS local app. Stay connected with your favorite news radio station all day long. When you need to know, WCBS has you covered.
1: It's Saturday night, and Gut Wisdom is having a total blast tonight. We are talking about schmucks.
2: A blast! The place is rocking.
1: I know the disco not, lights not going just, on and all right, dancing. Jake, I know, JG, no. you're all hyped up because yeah. you've been so smart tonight. As we talk about schmucks, it's okay to have a thought in I the don't office. Express. <laughs> We've got Dr. Jody Foster, and hey, Dr. Foster, you there? I am. Yes, the author of. Tell us. The schmuck in my office, correct? The
3: schmuck in my office. How to deal effectively with difficult people at work.
2: And by the way, how do people get in touch with you if they want to connect with you?
3: www.schmuckinmyoffice.com, of course.
1: (laughs) Wait, but how do you smell
3: smell schmuck? S-C-H-M-U-C-K.
1: S-C-H-M-U-C-K. Okay. Don't do it while you're driving, though. Right, no. And if you'd like a copy... Of Doctor Foster's book, please email me at dk at gutwisdom g u t w i z d o m dot com. Get some tips on how to deal with those schmucks. We all need them. So, let's talk about empathy, because in the book, it's in there. My favorite. It's my favorite word, uh, and I live with it and and train on it. But Doctor Foster, how do you have empathy for schmucks? I mean, it's a simple question. I can't wait to hear what you have to say.
3: It's a simple question. And, and as you get used to doing it, it's a simple solution. But up front, it's a, it's a real sort of behavior change that I'm, that I'm asking. It's a stretch. So, so to your earlier points, you have a horrible interaction with you, with, with somebody.
4: Mm-hmm. And,
3: then, and then I'm saying, OK, take a step back that's already hard because as you noted it's easier to jump to anger and jump to feeling offended and all this kind of stuff yes but so so what i'm saying is take a step back and first examine yourself why did that behavior affect you this way totally. because you and i might be sitting right next to each other and i might get horribly offended and you might say that was no big deal mm-hmm. so You really have to to, uh, first, again, know yourself and why is it affecting you this way. But then instead of, like I said, jumping to anger or, or you're a jerk or you're a schmuck or you're an idiot or whatever, to be able to say, wow, that that was an awful thing that that just happened, or this is an awful pattern of behavior. But why do they do that? Why are they acting that way? Why do they feel they have to interact in that way? And this is what I think we don't do enough of. And so... If you can, and how do you do do it? You get to know this person. You're working with this person. Mm -hmm. Um, You know things about them because that's what happens in an office setting. We learn about other people, and Mm -hmm. I'm suggesting that we take what we know about this person and how they behave, how they behave at work, what we know about them as people, and we kind of craft that together to sort of figure out what is the underlying dynamic or anxiety that drives them to behave badly when they wow. behave
2: badly, mm-hmm.
3: and it's, it sounds hard, but it's not that hard. Yeah,
2: to to be, you know. Here you, are, I'm thinking about, you know, a situation that recently occurred where, you know, I was quote the victim of bullying from you, someone, yeah, and you know, I paused. It wasn't me, was it? Was I the bully? Well, uh, that was another story with you bullying <laughs> okay. me. Big five foot. Nine redhead <laughs> coming down the hall, screaming, <laughs> ranting, and raving, and sure. so no, I'm just joking around. You never do that. Thank you. And uh, no, but it was one of those things where you know I I always always remember you know the lesson. Hit the pause button, and you know I quickly said, okay, I have to deal with this. Be cool, calm, and collected. Yep. And how am I going to be thoughtful? I mean, totally opposite of the way I usually am. Yeah. You know, I'm the I'm well, the bulldozer. I'm not yes. gonna. I'm knocking the people down typically. Yes, and I said, okay, I'm going to be thoughtful about this. You know, what and how I did
1: that to, feel when you were thoughtful about it?
2: Oh, did you feel that, more
1: in control?
2: Yeah, definitely. It, when I hit the pause button, I felt more in control because I didn't automatically react the way I was going to. Right,
1: because the emotions and when we get into
2: frustration or anger or any of that, I had that, to think about it. But the answer, yes, the answer to your question is. Yeah, I felt a lot more in control, and I was like, "Okay, I'm going to be thoughtful." Mm-hmm. And well, it
3: feels good to take the high road.
2: Exactly, it does. you don't want to have a regret, right. right? Well, that's true. That
1: that that is very true. I I figured out, Doctor Foster, as you have said, I started to see or really look within because, as you were saying before, sometimes you know, and I'll use JG and I as an example. I will get highly offended and 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 really, you know, emotional, maybe angry or whatever, frustrated about some things. Like that that he doesn't, right? He'll just sit there and be like, oh, that was no big deal. So I have looked at what are the specific traits or what are the specific actions, what are the things that get to me the most. So I've done that and I realized if I had to narrow it down, it's probably when people showed when people are disrespectful Disrespect, yep. and rude, mm-hmm. that's those disrespectful and in a, or being rude, those are my triggers. I kind of take a step back and, and, and it just, mm. if I don't hit the pause button, you can bet there'll be an emotional response. And it's not good. It's not good. So it's controlling your own, it's knowing what your trigger is. Then it's controlling your own response before sure. you can even get to the person who's displaying the schmucky behavior. Yeah. Right. Right.
3: But your response is going to be much better, better informed and more measured if you do this.
1: Yeah. Do you trust your gut?
3: Absolutely. Really? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I mean, you know, as psychiatrists, we don't we're not walking around with a toolbox. We you know, we have to trust our instincts and our guts. And, you know, quite frankly, I think that most of that gut developed just because I, you know, grew up in a big city and I have some street smarts and, mm-hmm. you know, you develop guts, you develop gut instincts, yeah. and they're very, very valuable. The most important thing is that, you know, and, and you don't have to be raised in a big city. You don't right. have to, to do this. But again, it's in knowing yourself. When somebody does something and it, and it hits you a certain way, you must trust yourself that You were reacting to it in this way for a reason. Mm -hmm. And then to try to explore yourself a little bit more. Why? why, What is the reason? Why does it affect me so much?
2: Mm -hmm. I dealt recently with somebody that uh, unfortunately had multiple uh, job changes. I mean, their resume was spotted with uh, constant turnover. You could see every two years. Yeah, they were moving on and... You know, I have a rule that you know you, you're not in a job straight two years for a certain period of time. Forget it. You're you're a jumper, and we're not going to even talk to you. And one of the things I found is, you know, these are typically what I would call the problem child. You know, they haven't identified the root cause of what bothers bothers them. So, two questions for you: one is, um, how do you address the person that's been a jumper when you're in, a, let's say, a job interview? If you have some thoughts on that, and how do you identify a culture? A corporate culture where you're going to see some of these schmucks appearing before you take a job. Yeah. Is there anything, or, we or could before do? you
1: hire somebody yeah. in an interview, are there any you know one or two key questions that you could spot that say this person's going to be a schmuck?
3: It's not mm. that there are one or two key questions, but it, uh, it, it again gets back to your your gut instinct. So if you are interviewing someone and you're like, wow, this person is too good to be true. You need to stop and think, maybe this person is too good to be true, and maybe you need to do a little bit more due diligence. Yeah, dive deeper. if you're being that seduced or that drawn in by somebody, maybe that's a trigger that something is wrong. And so um, I think that as much, uh, again, as much due diligence, as much background information as you get, particularly if someone is jumping and jumping and jumping from jobs, um, you know, ask them about it. You know, it seems like you move around a lot. Why is that? Mm -hmm. And you'll be able to tell. You know, again, in interviews, people are putting their very best foot forward. Sure, one hundred percent. So if you're picking up on something in an interview, you are picking up on the tip of the iceberg.
2: Mm -hmm.
4: And
3: so if you don't, you know, pay attention to that and respect it and think about it more and dig a little deeper on it, you are running the risk of making a mistake. Mm -hmm. And in terms of culture, you know. Uh, you know, one of the general rules about about, you know, getting along in the workplace is that it is on the organization to lay out the rules of engagement. Mm-hmm. It is on the organization to have clear, you know, policies and procedures so that when people act badly, they don't come and say, well, I didn't know. You never told me that's, you know, right. I, and it I, sort know. of a,
1: a zero tolerance policy.
3: Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And so, um, Uh, It's just important to be clear, and it's not always easy in the interview to kind of pick up on a culture because, again, the organization is probably also trying to put its best foot forward. But, you know, doing doing your due diligence as an interviewee and just trying to find out about it because if you find yourself mismatched in a culture, you may very well be labeled the disruptor when, again, if you were simply in a place that was better matched, you'd be just fine.
1: Yeah. So Dr. Foster, I know you may have some thoughts about this, but I've been really grumpy lately and really tired. (laughs) You're laughing. I'm just not feeling good. I'm not feeling rejuvenated when I wake up. Right. Listeners, does this sound familiar? You're grumpy. You wake up. You're not really well rested. Most of us have no idea why we wake up more tired in the morning. And I finally found somebody to help us. We have Dr. Foster who helps us with the schmucks in the office. We've got Dr. Michael Gelb and his team at the Gelb Center here in New York City that will evaluate sleeping issues and then they put together a comprehensive plan. What a concept because it's personalized to help us get the best sleep, the best health that we've ever experienced. So uh, listeners, if you're like me and you're waking up tired in the morning, even after you have slept a whole night, I'd like you to call Dr. Michael Gelb today. 212, or you can call him tonight, I don't know that anybody will answer. So if you call him tonight, you'll get the answering machine, but they'll take your name. 212-752-1662, get his free copy, Um, get a free copy of his book, it's called GASP. It's The Hidden Path to Wellness, 212-752-1662, that's Michael Gelb. Please join me so that we can all feel better rested. Now, Dr. Foster, back to you you yep. have you have given us some tremendous wisdom, huge, and we'd like to if it's okay with you offer um our listeners i don't know first five that email me d k at gut wisdom g u t w i z d o m dot com free copy of the schmuck in my office right there's more in that book than we talked about tonight for sure,
2: very much so yes, what I loved about the book is that after each of the uh, ten character each of the ten labels per se, or the ten chapters, the points of who's what. Uh, you'll find some quick tips and how to deal with each type of schmuck.
1: And one more time, Doctor Foster, how do we find you?
3: www.schmuckinmyoffice.com dot dot com.
1: <laughs> S C H M U C K. That's how we smell schm. You know. That's how you spell <laughs> schmuck, not
2: smell, schmuck. We could smell we could smell the schmuck a mile away walking to the office, but this is about spelling it right. Yes, and
1: this is that's true and in New York, you know, we can spell schmuck m- many different ways, so it's important to know how we spell it.
2: Oh my goodness. Thank you for being with us.
1: Yes, Dr. Foster, really really appreciate it. And I hope maybe you could come to our next live event, Dr. Foster. You're invited. Great. That VIP would love to have you. We uh, we record Gut Wisdom in front of a live audience Tuesday night, September nineteenth. And uh, so far, we've done a few of these, and it's it's pretty cool. So if you if you would like to join us, Doctor Foster and listeners, if you're listening, please reach out. Don't text while you drive, uh, and let us know if you want to join us. JG, what do you want to say?
2: What an amazing show! I've learned so much from the show. There's more. And-
1: I, we need more. We yeah. need another hour. With Doctor Foster, we need a
2: day. We need a we need a workshop.
1: That's oh, what we need to do. What a great we idea! We should do a
2: workshop on how to deal with the schmuck in the office. Yeah, gut wisdom. You create a workshop. And Doctor Foster there present
1: the many. We could t- seriously, Doctor Foster, the many I know you're faces still there. of the schmuck. The many faces of a schmuck in your office. Oh yeah. And how different is it? I'm just curious from the schmucks in your life, the jerks that you deal with <laughs> outside <laughs> uh, of your office.
3: No, it's a funny question. When I when we were writing the book, we were you know, really seriously think about which audience we wanted to uh, direct this to. And we joke that our next book is going to be The Schmuck in My Bedroom.
1: And we can't wait for that. So thank you, everybody. Thank you, Dr. Foster, our partners at WCBS. You've been listening to Gut Wisdom. Have a great Saturday night.
0: You've been listening to Gut Wisdom on WCBS News Radio 880. Sponsored by the Gelb Center. Don't lose another night's sleep. Visit the sleep and wellness experts at gelbcenter.com. Gut Wisdom comes your way every Saturday night at 7 p.m. on WCBS 880 or anytime at gutwisdom.com. That's wisdom spelled with a Z.